What a beautiful song to prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, Lord, we desire so many things in this life, and we get our focus off thy precious Son. But Father, I pray, Lord, that we would, Lord, renew our focus, Lord, and make sure that we'd rather have Jesus than anything this world can afford. And now we ask, Lord, that we would see your Son high and lifted up as we open thy precious word. Speak to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles with me and let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as we continue our series here in this marvelous letter, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And this morning, we're just going to look at the first five verses of chapter 2 here. And in these few verses, the Apostle Paul reminds the, the Corinthians uh, of the manner in which he preached the gospel to them when he came to that city and brought the gospel and proclaimed Christ. And so we're going to see that Paul is trying to make clear to the church, when I came to you and I preached the gospel, it wasn't me. It wasn't my ability, my ability to preach or speak or to influence or to persuade, but I came and I preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 1. Verse 1, chapter 2. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Here Paul's stating, when I came to you, that first time I came to you, I didn't come with superiority of speech. Some translations put it eloquence or superior wisdom. He's telling them that when I came, I didn't try and come to sound smart, to sound intelligent to you, to come across as I know it all and I've got a, I've got a corner on theology and sound like I have all these degrees behind my name. He came without pretense. And he's saying, making it clear to them that I didn't come to you with any special kind of, of, of eloquent speech. We turn to 2 Corinthians real quick. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Then we'll come back here. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10. Uh, actually, we'll pick it up for uh, verse 8, 8 through 10. Paul writes here to the church, For even if I should boast somewhat further about my authority, and he's speaking of his authority as an apostle, which the Lord gave me for building you up and not for destroying you, I shall not be put to shame, for I do not wish 
to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. And uh, we'll notice in, in some places that there was another letter the Apostle Paul wrote to this church that it is, was lost. We don't have it. It was between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So, there would, so this would have been a 3 Corinthians had that third, second letter been in, included, but somehow it got lost. But he's talking about these letters that he sent to the church. And, and so this is what they were saying when they received the, le the letters of the Apostle Paul. Some people in the church were saying this, verse 10. For they say his letters are weighty and strong. In other words, he was writing forcefully. He was writing very strongly. It sounded like he was, you know, uh, in his letters, they were eloquent but forceful. And yet look what they thought of him in person. But his personal presence is unimpressive. And his speech is contemptible. Some versions say his, speak, uh, his speaking amounts to nothing. When Paul came into the church, uh, came into Corinth for the first time and preached the gospel, you wouldn't look at him and go, Boy, he must be somebody special. Boy, he, he, he looks like, you know, he looks like the, the smart guy that came out of seminary. No, his, his appearance was unimpressive to them. And his speech, he, he didn't speak well. He could speak, he speak, he, he couldn't speak well in the sense of he wasn't, one of these affluent speakers that, that would come across, again, trying to persuade with fancy words and, and these, these deep words of, of theology. So they, they attacked him here at the church. But Paul is trying to make clear to them that when he came to them, he did not come trying to be somebody he's not. And try and persuade them with, with special words or, or special methods to use. So I want you to see that. Turn back to 1 Corinthians with me now. And again, chapter 2. You know, the Apostle Paul, he says here, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom. Proclaiming to you. What's he proclaiming? The testimony of God. Notice he didn't say my testimony. I came to you to proclaim my testimony. Now the testimony yesterday was so powerful by John Regal that he gave. You just, he just grabbed your attention and you saw what the grace of God accomplished and did in his, that man's life. But when he started, he started, he said, this is all about Christ. And he read scripture. And he, he was saying that I'm here and the testimony I, have, testimony I have is only because 
of Jesus Christ and his grace and forgiveness. And the Apostle Paul here was trying to make clear to them that I'm co- I came to you with the word of God, the gospel. When he says the testimony of God, he's talking about the word of God. And that should be the uh, that should be said of every single preacher and pastor that ever gets up in front of, of a congregation, a group of people to bring an evangelistic message or to teach the word of God. It's got to be God's testimony. And it's the same for each one of us here today. That when you go out and you're living your life before the world. They're looking at you. They're watching you and me. And are they seeing things that, that when I talk and I speak, it's all about just me and it's not God's testimony. Thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. And people know that you are representing the Lord. The, the apostle Paul it's making it clear. Here I came to you, not with superior speech. I don't know how many of you have um, ever bought something because of a motivational speaker. You heard that term, motivational speaker. Do you recall any motivational speakers, either on, on television or on, online or somewhere? Maybe you went to them. And, and listen to one of their seminars, motivational speakers. And you ended up buying their product or believing in exactly what they said because they were very persuasive. Um, can you think of any that come to your head? What, shout out one name out there that is a persuasive, a motivational speaker. He would fit that category. And they have lists, if you go online, they have lists like the 10 top motivational speakers. And I'm going to mention one of the top in just a moment. But Sue, which one are you thinking of? Oh, Wyndham. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Companies do it. You go to a Wyndham, she's talking about a timeshare. How many of you have a timeshare or been to one? Someone's let you go there. and uh, What they do is they, you get there, and if you're a visitor... And which we have been a guest for with, with Sue uh, at a Wyndham, and they would come to you and they'd say, "Now look, just give us, uh, you know, two hours of your time, and 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 we'll just show you around and lay it out why you should get, you know, one of these plans, why you should get a timeshare." And then they they grab you, they take you over there, and boy, we did it once went through that little thing, and boy, the pressure they put on you to sign on the dotted line and say, come on now, you, you, you need one of these for your family for vacation. You can go anywhere with these things. Come on, just sign. And they, remember, Cher, we, they wouldn't let us leave. And th- that's that, a company. They, they, they had some motivational speakers. But there's, there's a name that that uh, has been prominent. Dave, who are you thinking of? Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. He, he's one. Yes, yes. I'm thinking of a, someone secular. 
too, who's uh, the whole world buys his stuff and corporate people listen to him. Yes, thank you, Dale. Dale hit it. Tony Robbins. You ever hear that name? Tony Robbins. Yeah, he was born in 1960 in Los Angeles, California. His commanding presence during his talks and his passion for helping others reach their goals are some of the traits that make him a powerful motivational speaker. Tony usually talks and writes about overcoming fears. That would cause people to sit and listen. Strengthening communication, improving and maintaining relationships. I'd want to know that. Attaining more wealth, staying fit and staying healthy. He is the author of several self-help books. Any of you ever buy any self-help books? Yeah, they're bestsellers. Such as Awaken the Giant Within. That's one title. All right, that's an international bestseller that shows readers how to take control of their personal destiny. Wow. His seminars called Unleash the Power Within and the Master University, they are often sold out events. And participants are shown how to become successful in their lives and businesses. The Apostle Paul, when he came to Corinth, he wasn't pretending to be a Tony Robbins. He didn't come across, and you know, before he came, he's going, okay, now how, let, let me lay out my words and lay it out. How can I be persuasive to, to get people to follow Christ, to get people to believe in him? And I, I got to say the right words the right way. I got to sound smart and use my, my, my education to lay it all out. No. What did he do? He's making it clear that the message he brought to them was not by the Apostle Paul. It wasn't fancy words or anything like that. Now look at verse 2. He then writes, For I determined... To know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I titled this message, Determined. Here the Apostle Paul uses that word, determined. For I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When Paul arrived at Corinth, he made a conscious decision about what his focus was going to be on. You know, some versions, if you have another translation, it says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What did he mean by this? Well, he was determined to do, to do something with Jesus and his crucifixion, his cross. And that was to put Jesus at the center of everything he did and said. That Jesus Christ and his cross 
was the only thing Paul was concerned about when he came to that city. I love the note that is found in the Amplified Version translation of this verse. You know where it says, he says, to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified, to know nothing among you. What does that mean, to know nothing among you? It, it's kind of obscure to, to understand. So here's a great definition of this know nothing. I determined to know nothing among you. This means to forego philosophical or theological discussions regarding inconsequential things and opinions while among you. Except this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, you and I, every day, make determinations. You will determine today what you're going to do, where you're going to go. Tomorrow, this week, there are going to be decisions that you and I are going to make. And we determine ourselves to accomplish that. Maybe it's to to make more money, to get a better job. I'm determined to find a better job. I'm determined to be a better husband. I'm determined to be a better wife. I'm determined to be a better father or mother. Those are all good things. Good things to be determined about. But Paul is trying to make something clear. That at the center of his life, above all else, he was determined that whatever he said and did, it concerned Jesus Christ and him crucified. That came first. That's the pure gospel. And I have to ask myself, Lord, what am I determined to do today? Father, do I have at the center of my decision-making Jesus Christ and him crucified? That, and that, that encompasses so much because I have to ask myself, am, am, I, am I pursuing the things that you would want me to pursue and making the decisions that are in the center of your will? What did Jesus say? Seek ye first the what? The kingdom of God. What's the second part? And his righteousness. So that all these things may be added unto you. You know, sometimes we just hear that first part of the verse mentioned or written. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. But that second part is, is kind of forgotten. Seek also his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will provide for your every need. You know what that is? That is a person determining to seek God's kingdom in every aspect of his life and being ready to be an ambassador for Christ, to share one's faith, and then to live out the gospel, live out that faith before others. 
And how many times have you and I failed? We failed to live out the gospel and live in righteousness and seek righteousness in our life. Sometimes that's the last thing we'd ever think of, of just making sure, Lord, I, I, I desire a holy heart. I desire a clean heart. Father, help me to think your thoughts that are centered around you and have a heart that is, is desiring your will and to be obedient to your word. And when we do that and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, God will provide everything else and you and I will be effective in reaching people for Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul was, is trying to say here. I determined to know nothing else. Nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here the Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, a, new, a young minister who was going into the ministry. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. So he gives Timothy this charge. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge and who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearance and his kingdom. This is what he tells him to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season with the word of God. In other words, be ready to share the word of God and preach it, whether it seems like a good time or suddenly you're caught off guard and it's out of season. doesn't seem like a good time. Be ready to preach the word. And by preaching the word, what does the word do? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You see what Paul is saying to Timothy? Paul's saying, Timothy, in these days... You better be ready for this. People are suddenly going to say, I don't want to be told where, that I'm wrong. I don't want to be told that I'm a, I'm a sinner. And that, that I don't want to hear about judgment and hell and, and all this other stuff and where, what I need to do to change and everything else. So they leave the church and they go find another church, find other preachers and teachers who will tickle their ears? You might say motivational speakers. We've got a lot of motivational speakers in churches today. Pastors who get up and sadly, the scripture is not open. The Bible's not open. They're not preaching from the word of God. But they're preaching their own opinions or philosophy or feel good messages all the time. And, and basically not offending because 
if you preach the whole counsel of God, there will be times where people will be offended. But here Paul is saying, Timothy, when you preach, make sure, understand that when you preach the true gospel, there are going to be those that are going to just say, I'd rather hear somebody else. I don't want to hear that, that message, that, that this Bible is irrelevant. So turn back with me now to 1 Corinthians. And this should teach us again to keep Christ at the center. Jesus and him crucified in our life. Look at verse 3. He writes, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And in much trembling. Now, can you just picture the Apostle Paul coming to a church? I, I'm sorry, coming to the, the city, hoping to build a church. But he's coming with weakness and fear and much trembling. When was the last time you found yourself in a position where you were fearful or you were trembling or you felt weak because you had to speak in front of somebody or a bunch of people. I know that the number, one of the number one fears of people, you know what it is? It's public speaking. It's public speaking, number one. Well, number one fear. And that will, that will send shivers. Now, why would the Apostle Paul if he's been preaching the gospel, come to Corinth and, and, and he would describe himself this way to them. Bible scholars aren't sure why he put this in there, what was going on in Paul's life. This may have referred to his thorn in the flesh that we find him, him write about, the weakness in his flesh that God allowed to stay in his life, that he might remain humble and rely on the Lord. We don't know what it is. It could have been because he's coming to Corinth and he just left Athens. And there they, they have all these teachers that come by. They, they have traveling teachers um, that would, would travel through Greece. And they were called sophists. You ever hear of a sophist? S-O-P-H-I-S-T, a sophist. Now we have dear Sophie with us here today. Sophie Light. Hi, Sophie. It's good to have you here today. Bless your heart. So a sophist is not someone that's a follower of Sophie. Okay. We just want to make that clear. But if you do become a follower, she's one of the best to follow. But a sophist... What that means in the Greek, it meant someone who was clever or a skilled man. It was any certain Greek lecturer or writer and teacher who traveled about the Greek world speaking and giving instructions in a wide range of subjects in return for a fee. Basically, motivational speakers back then. And they were, they were considered the smartest of the smart. 
And they always taught men how to speak and what arguments to use in public debate. We've got sophists everywhere today. They're all around us. And Paul had to deal with them in Athens. And so any Greek city like Corinth, they were there. They were coming through. And so everybody would compare them to anyone, the next speaker coming through. And here comes the Apostle Paul, who had trouble speaking. He wasn't a good orator. And so he came, and I don't know if that was the, his fear and trembling, but he, he wants to make clear that he didn't come in his own power. Look at the rest of these verses, verses 4 and 5. Look at 4 and 5 together. And my message and my preaching were not in, a, in persuasive words of wisdom, well, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, which means Paul's own wisdom, but on the power of God. But on the power of God. Here, Paul uses this word power, dynamos. It's like dynamite in, in, in the Greek, but the, it's the power of God. And that word to demonstrate, notice he says, but what I came, I spoke in demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. So he came not in his natural talents and abilities to try and persuade them, them to become Christians. And sometimes you and I, dear Christian, you know when those times are tough when, when it, either family or friends or, or people you know and you want them to be saved. You want to share the gospel with them, but you're afraid to because you don't know, how, you figure I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to not know how to speak. Here is where Apostle Paul is trying to get across to the church that when I came, I didn't come in my own power and ability and talents, but I came through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what gave me the strength in my weakness to preach the gospel to you and to teach you Christ and him crucified. You see, Paul is making clear, if you looked at him, you wouldn't have picked him out. Turn with me to 1 Samuel real quick. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I couldn't help but go back to King David. We had referred to him before, but 1 Samuel 16 verse 1. And this is, this is the point where Saul was rejected by God to be the king of Israel because of his sin. And so there was going to be a new king. And so he sent Samuel to go out and to find the new king. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil 
and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Okay, so he goes. Drop down to verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said, came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the city came trembling to him and said, Do you come in peace? Because, you know, Samuel being a, a prophet and a priest, they didn't know if he was going to bring a word of judgment. And he said, In peace, I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Then it came about when he entered that he looked at Eliab. He's the oldest of, of the sons of Jesse. He looked at Eliab. What did he think? He sa it says, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. In other words, this is the guy. You know, he's looking at Big, strong, firstborn son. He's got to be a king. He looks like a king. This is the guy, Lord, right? This is the guy you're going to choose to reign. I can see it in him. And God shakes his head says, Samuel, no. That's not the guy I want. And of course, he goes through, goes through the other sons. No, 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 no. And then we drop down to verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now, speaking of David, he was ruddy with beautiful eyes. Now, that's interesting. Well, at least he had nice eyes. Yeah. And for a boy, young man, he was handsome in appearance, but he wasn't this strong, massive, tall, look-like-a-king guy. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And here it is, end of verse 13. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Went to Ramah. And here we find what made David a great king. God sent his Holy Spirit upon him and said, my spirit is going to make this man powerful and great when he speaks, when he writes, and to be king. My dear friends, the Apostle Paul is, was saying to the church in Corinth, and he's saying to us, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells within you and in me. And God wants to work through the power of his Holy Spirit in you, in your daily life, in every aspect of your life, 
to a point where you and I can't take credit for anything. And that God wants us to be surrendered to him and his Holy Spirit so that we allow, we put self in the back and we allow the Holy Spirit to live through me. And that means the image of Christ will be seen in me. And what I say, what comes out of my mouth will not be from me and how, how good I am at a speaker or doing things or anything else, but it is through the power of the Spirit that lives within me. And that's the message I leave with you, dear friends. Paul said, I came to do nothing else but to preach Jesus Christ. And you and I are preaching Jesus Christ every day. But what did he do? He said he was preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you and I, when we leave here this and go through this week, may we go in the strength of the Holy Spirit and not our own strength. Because God will bring us to places of weakness like he did the Apostle Paul. And God actually wants us to go through periods of weakness so that we do, we're not putting our confidence in the flesh. But we're, we're looking ahead and knowing that, Lord, I can't do that. I may have fear and trembling in my heart because of something I have to do, something I have to say, somewhere, someplace I have to go. But I know that the Lord is with me and his spirit, if I rely on his spirit, he will work powerful things through me and through you. And then what did Paul say? I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here was a man that made sure that he wasn't relying on his own strength, his own ability to preach. The, um, the great evangelist, Billy Graham, went after a, he, he, he was finished preaching to a stadium of 40,000 people. And hardly anybody came up at the invitation. And he was discouraged. And he wondered why. Something was, was different. He thought he gave a good message. And then someone on his board came to him. And, you know, they were, they were discussing it afterwards. And Billy's telling them, I don't know what happened. Why, why weren't there more decisions? And the man said to him, because you didn't center on the cross. You didn't preach centered on the cross. And it was from that day on that Billy Graham began to preach nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And suddenly millions came forward because he preached the cross. May the cross be the center of our life. And as we think of the cross of our Savior where he died for us and redeemed us through his blood, 
let us remember that we must pick up our cross and follow him, which means deny ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to control us. Let's pray together. As we close this morning, dear Christian, perhaps you realize that you have been doing things in your own strength. And suddenly you feel that you've been failing at things, you've tried. Perhaps you've tried to do, share your faith with family and friends, but you, you feel you failed. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you and give you the words to speak and give you the power to do the things that you cannot do in your weakness. But he needs you and I to say, yes, Lord. You do it through me. Would you make that decision now, dear Christian? Say, dear Lord, I pray that you would take me, this weak, broken vessel, and may your Holy Spirit Live through me. Strengthen me. Give me the words to speak, the thoughts to think, that I might be a witness for you and the others may see Jesus in me and that I might speak with power, not my power, but your power. Father, I give myself to you. Dear Christian, if you make that commitment this morning, watch and see what God will do with your life. He will use you in a powerful way and you will know that it is all of him. He gets all the glory. If you're here without Christ, I invite you to open your heart to the Savior. He died for you on that cross. He paid the penalty for your sin so that you would not have to die and go to hell, but you could have heaven as a free gift eternal life given to you and forgiveness of your sin. But it's all available only through the cross and only through to your trust and faith in Jesus to save you. If you're ready to make that decision, would you praise this simple prayer with me? Something like this. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. With heads still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you're now a child of God. You now belong to the King, and the Holy Spirit has entered your life, entered your your heart, and now you have Christ living within you. You have that power, the power of God to do great things. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this morning again through your word. I pray, Lord, that we, as your children, like the Apostle Paul, would be determined to have Christ at the center of everything in our life. 
and him crucified would be our message. And Lord, that we might be used of you to reach a lost world. Thank you for decisions that have been made today. And we'll give you all the praise and glory as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.